so beautiful. Thank you, Ludwig von Beethoven. Hello, and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad that you're joining us again today. Well, we have a little last-minute change of plans because I just learned just a little while ago that our planned guest for today, the scheduled guest, Dr. Raphael Kelman, the author of The Microbiome Diet and The Whole Brain, uh, had to bow out for the moment because he has to attend to an emergency situation with a patient of his. So with... uh, Deep regret, he said he won't be able to be here with us through his office and that instead he will be joining me on Friday morning at 11.30 for the live broadcast. Although, of course, as most of you do, listen in your own leisure at any time by going to abetterworld.tv where you will find it posted uh, in our archive, radio archive, or you will get it from Blog Talk Radio, whichever you prefer. So I wanted to let you know that at the very top of the show today because it will be the uh, different than what was originally intended. However, I am going to speak with you for a bit about the microbiome and even uh, that is what exists inside our own gut, our own colon. But I'm also going to talk about the idea to some extent of the larger microbiome that is the role of bacteria on our planet and in effect uh, how we have created a serious imbalance out there as we have in here. So on that note, I will give sort of, you could say, a bit of a prelude to what will be coming up with Dr. Kelman uh, in short order in a couple of days. But you've heard me talk about the microbiome, that is, the environment of the gut, the bacteria that floods our entire human body, in fact, everywhere, but primarily located in the large intestine. And there have been some fantastic breakthroughs over the past 10 and 20 years in our understanding of the role of this back, these, I should say, excuse me, bacteria, otherwise I would have to say this bacterium, if I were going to be grammatically accurate which I like to be. So I'm talking about these bacteria that populate our gut. In fact, they are so much more numerous than human cells in our body. It's almost hilarious. And I said recently on the air, it begs the question of who am I? Am I a strain of bacteria or am I a human being or does a human being consist primarily of strains of bacteria? Well, the answer is both. Yep, it's both, my friends. It's not one or the other. It is les deux, both at the same time. So it's interesting, though because it does exemplify just how dependent we are on all these micro and mini life forms to be found everywhere to the extent that we are actually even as human organisms outpopulated inside our very bodies by those things that we have so often over time have considered dangerous and leading to disease and illness and ailments of every sort, shape, size, and form. Well, that's also true. But the main thing that's true is that we actually live in a form of really of harmony. You could say interdependently, You could say symbiotically. You could even say parasitically. Uh, And all of that 
as far as I know, uh, not being a biologist, but someone who studies, are true, each of those relationships. I personally prefer the word interdependent, meaning these bacteria and parasites get their juice, their nourishment, from living inside the environment we, the human part of us, provide, and at the same time, they provide services and effects and benefits from being so close to us, i.e. inside us, that uh, we require not just like comfortably need or desire, but actually require. They are essential to our health there have been really interesting studies that have been conducted with raising mice with no bacteria inside, like um, sterile from a bacterial point of view, uh, total antimicrobial. And these little creatures didn't fare so well when it came to health and longevity. They died. We need bacteria. The question is more what kind of questions are what kind of bacteria in what quantity and are we able to have through the other effects of what constitutes health those things that can properly engage those bacteria for health and build the immune system, or are we doing other things through our diet, through our stress levels, through our environment, through our sleeping habits, through our attitude, through our movement, i.e. dance, yoga, qigong, tai chuan, running, exercising, jumping, sports, athletics, to neutralize the effects of, let's say, bacteria that are not serving us, or even lifestyle choices, as in diet, cuisine, etc., that are not directly serving us. So, as with everything, there's a balancing act in place. We're always balancing these variables. And there are more. There are the electromagnetic fields in our society these days, wherever you look. There are cell towers. And these are exerting an invisible but very powerful influence on our cellular life. But also, it can't be ignored on our bacterial life. So, we are looking at solar radiation. Some of what we get from the sun is very, very healthy, like vitamin D. But there are other rays that come forth in the microwave uh, and maybe even infrared frequency level that are not so good. So when you add it all up, we are living in a bit of a toxic soup. And yet... And yet, it is our bacteria that, that our microbiome, when properly enhanced and augmented, that keeps us alive, that keeps us not only alive, but well and balanced. What do I mean by balanced in this case? Well, let's talk a bit more kind of digestively and focus in on the uh, human body. Well, we've got metabolism, we have weight control, regulation, we have brain function, including memory, cognition, and the like. We have the thyroid and our hormonal balance. We have digestive abilities. Well, I mentioned, you know, metabolism, and that's part of it. Enzymatic activity, um, the proper... Uh, the proper functioning of all of our vital organs, pancreas, spleen, liver, gallbladder, stomach, small intestine, heart, pericardium, 
lung, kidney, urinary bladder, uh, small intestine, all of these are so important and uh, required, by the way, for all functionality. And uh, we've got the immune system, which is truly its own system, which, by the way, is approximately three-quarters found in the gut. We've also got the circulatory system and the nervous systems to compound. Well, what keeps everything flowing well? Bacteria. <laughs> yep, believe it or not, those tiny little creatures that we didn't even know existed before Leeuwenhoek. That's right, that Dutch janitor who is the first one who actually crafted a lens fine enough that we could look under it and see these little, little creatures opening up an entirely new universe, quite honestly, to our observation. Before that, we had no clue what was in our saliva or in our blood or even in the water we drink. We just didn't know. We might suppose, we would speculate, but thanks to this janitor, I read a book on him when I was a wee tot and uh, happen to remember some of these details. But it should also be understood, and I know that Dr. Cummins will be making this point because I spoke with someone in his office today just doing a kind of a quick review of our respective perspectives. Can I say that? Respective perspectives. And we found that we were much aligned, which wouldn't surprise anybody in this audience, that we always want to get a historical perspective on our what we call current and contemporary understandings. Right? Right. Is there anything new under the sun? Not much, but ah, a little here, a little there. But we want to be able to distinguish what is new from what is old and refurbished or rebranded or renamed and relabeled. Human beings have a tremendous propensity for renaming things and calling them their own. Oh, what a funny tendency. Anyway, uh, we'll leave that one lie for the moment and just go back to this. What goes on, as uh, this lovely woman, Rennie, in Dr. Kelman's office said today, one of the examples that Dr. Kelman gives is that two people both get uh, a, uh, a tick bite. One develops Lyme disease, the other does not. Where is, what is the difference between them? Well, one is, he will say, as will I, a healthy gut. That is another way to say a healthy immune system, a proper floral, bacterial floral balance. That's right. The other, ah, not so healthy, a bit off, immune depressed, suppressed, maybe repressed, but certainly not highly functional. That will be the person who gets smitten with the disease. Sadly, is it reversible? Yes. How? Build up the proper proportion and style of the bacterial balance in the gut. That's right. Wow. Well, some say alkalize the body. Some say drink more water. Some say activate leptin, as we've had Kat James say on these airwaves a number of times brilliant woman who brings so much to the dietary table and culinary table for that matter as well as scientific and all of these are are valid perspectives and approaches to health and well-being dr gundry talks about the um harmful virtually toxic uh components of certain kinds of vegetables. And those toxins are there for warding off those vegetables' predators. Well, yeah. The only problem is that I guess we're considered a predator. <laughs> that would make sense, wouldn't it? Uh, 
But in fact, those toxins in those particular vegetables and foods are also toxic to us. So when we avoid those or we do a certain food preparation in a certain way, we begin to balance our metabolism and our thyroid better. Well, isn't that interesting? Maybe what at base we're doing is balancing our microbiome and hence downstream, so to speak, we're getting these other metabolic and thyroidal and overall systemic health benefits. Or are we also engaging the master hormone leptin by doing these things as well? Ah, thank you. I just remembered the word that Dr. Gundry uses a lot and I uh, flew out of my mind the other day, and that's lectin. So do not confuse leptin, the hormone, with lectin, which are those toxins inside those vegetables uh, that Dr. Gundry writes about extensively. So what's interesting is that people get benefits from each one of these approaches. Um, Dr. Rob Young, who is one of my great mentors in nutrition going back to the uh, late, mid to late 1990s, who at that point always talked about alkalinity of the cell, of the blood, of the tissue, has changed that conversation a bit to looking more at um, the energetics of the food, which is in alignment with my understanding most fundamentally that comes to me from ancient Chinese energetics, from Chinese medicine, and understanding that everything has a life force. Everything has its own unique signature, if you will, of qi. And therein, you can be looking at the energetics of food and how they relate uh, to how the energetic of a food relates to specific organs and meridians and to the blood and to the overall system of chi in the body. So, again, another perspective. However, I'm suggesting that there is some level of confluence among them all. So, I'm particularly excited about having Dr. Kalman on the show to go into his clinical experience as well as his scientific research in specific into the microbiome and how when it is balanced, when we eat a certain diet and when we live a certain kind of lifestyle, and I assure you that has a lot to do with the way we manage stress, the way we manage our minds, the way we manage our different mental states, how we manage our sleep patterns and depth and volume of sleep and the way we manage our movement, the larger word for exercise, um, but I love to throw in dance and athletics into that, uh, which are a whole lot more fun than working on, a, on a, an exercise machine, which can get extremely boring and exercises muscles in a very specific, highly limited way, which is why if you're going to use weights, it's much better to use free weights rather than the restrictions of these very fancy and very expensive uh, workout machines. But everyone has to discover this on their own. But if you really look at the literature and even just simply think about it, you'll understand and grok what it is I mean. So, again, as always, we're looking at a holistic picture of the human body in relation to its behavior and its external environment. We've been talking about the internal environment, but we are also going to talk about the external environment. So, I'm going to now make a segue with the promise that we will come back to speaking specifically about the microbiome diet with Dr. Kalman in a matter of days and look at the dietary recommendations 
that are in the highest alignment with that. And okay, I'll give you a little a little precursor, a little peek around the corner, which is to say that we are, of course, looking at fermented foods. We're looking at garlic. We're looking at onions. We're looking, of course, at sauerkraut. We're looking at kimchi. So we're looking at those things, fermented soy, I believe, as well, uh, which is certainly not one of my favorites, but it all has its impact on feeding the healthy microbiome. Yogurt, for that matter. Uh, Kefir. Some say that those are not as potent as the other ones, uh, but, you know, we have to uh, pick and choose what's right for us. Um, The elimination, or certainly the vast reduction of sugars, and um, that also means carbs. That would also refer to gluten, So you see where we're going with all of this. But what's interesting about his diet, if I may just add this, and he'll, of course, elaborate on this uh, in short order. Not today, let me remind you, but in short order in a couple of days. uh, Friday morning at 11.30 we're scheduled for. Unless another patient sounds the alarm of an emergency, which I do not expect. But, of course, I didn't expect this either. What does that mean? Anything can happen in this life at any time to anyone, anywhere, anyhow. That's right. Life is impermanent. So, that is the old Buddhist adage that we all want to stay abreast of. Anything can happen to anyone, anytime, anywhere, anyhow. Because we are mutable. Because we are energy. Because, as Jude Kuravan has said on these airwaves, we are in formation and we are in constant change. As the ancient Chinese said, didn't they? What was that, 10,000 years ago? 9,000? 8,000? Let's not parse the millennia. Let's just say, long ago, they said that the only constant in this life is change itself. And if we can live by that dictum, by that ancient wise adage, our lives will be much improved. As the Sufis say, you don't want to build a house on a bridge. (laughs) So brilliant. So brilliant. So on that note, I'm moving now into the external environment and the larger microbiome, which is the relationship of bacteria to all life forms, all sentient life. But we're going to even take another step. What happens when man pollutes his environment? What's pollution? Anything that takes something that is in its own natural state that has health benefits and distorts that. That's probably the largest uh, generic uh, definition of pollution. So say that we have air with a 32% uh, volume proportion of oxygen, of O2. The rest is hydrogen and carbon and nitrogen and a host of other gases. But based on man-made pollutants that are, uh, are uh, issued into the air through emissions, through exhaust, any number of byproducts from, from coal, oil, methane, you name it, that ratio begins to diminish of oxygen to the other uh, gases in the air. And it goes from 32 to 30 to 28 to 26 to a precipitous fall to 21. Now they say in cities like New York, it's actually down to about 14. I haven't checked this proportion recently, but that's around the time I left off in checking. But you're begging the question now, aren't you? 
time to check again. Oh, wait a minute. That's more than a 55% reduction. How did that happen? Pollution, contamination, things that are going into our lungs that are completely unhealthy, causing lung conditions, COPD, asthma, bronchitis, cancer, any number of illnesses can accrue. Liver cancer, liver illness, the liver is processing everything. It's kind of amazing. So when we pollute our environment and we've changed the ratio of oxygen that it used to be, that high number that we were accustomed to at an earlier point in even our lives, this is all in the last 50 or 60 years, this, uh, this diminution. We have to really watch out. Look at the food chain. It's completely polluted. It's contaminated with pesticides, with insecticides, with herbicides, with glyphosate, thanks to Monsanto. I, GMOs. It is outrageous with dyes, with sugar, with hormones. This is what has happened all for the mighty buck. Make no mistake, that's the driving force. More money, more power, more control, more influence, more lobbying power. This is the sick, sick pathological game that has been played a war against sanity that has been waged for the past Many decades, I mean, a case could really be made that this has been going on for hundreds of years. Uh, you could even maybe say that at least since the advent of the AMA. You What you say? The AMA? That's the American Medical Association, man. Aren't they supposed to be protecting our health and growing our health and cultivating it and preventing illness? Uh, maybe, certainly, theoretically, I'm not sure it says that anywhere on paper, since, if I get it correctly, I learned this from Dr. Bob Atkins in one of his books, that going back to 1865, the purport, the mission of the AMA was to put homeopaths out of business. Wait a minute. What kind of ground of organization or being could that be? To put another health profession out of business? I mean, to be supplanted by barbers that are actually, you know, making believe they're surgeons without even washing their hands? <laughs> you know, something's wrong with this picture. Anyway, I'm not going to go down that path too far. But just to say, folks, that what we have done to our environment is what we've done to our own bodies, because one is an extension of the other in both directions. We are, as my dear friend Kiara Windrider said the other day when quoting Chief Seattle on these very airwaves, and that is now available on our website, that interview, that... The earth does not belong to us, but we belong to the earth. Wow. Talk about the change in perspective. You know, that's one of the reasons I love traveling out to the southwest. I've had some of my most powerful experiences, inner awakenings, out there in the big red skies of New Mexico and Arizona, Southern California. Oh, my. Man is small, and earth and sky are grand. You really gain perspective. When we live in cities, that all turns around. Man seems so important. And granted, 
we are important, but we lose some sense of perspective and proportion. And traveling out west where the skies are so large and the mountains so big and the landscape so vast that we get a chance to really just authentically feel nature in its rawness, in its vastness, in its majesty. And we humans are humbled in the face of it. God bless. God bless. Let me just take a moment to tell you that you are listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m., although sometimes we show up at other times of the week. Sometimes that depends on me. Sometimes it depends on my guests and timing. And we are on television in Manhattan, in the Big Apple, every Monday evening at 7 p.m., which you can watch in Manhattan, of course, on any of the public access stations. Uh, I I mean uh, service providers um, on the respective station, that is, on Fios, it's channel 35, for instance, and if you tee off from there, you can figure out what it would be for, I think they call it Spectrum right now instead of Time Warner, and on RCN, I think it's 84 or 85. Anyway, on it goes, and anywhere in the world by simply going to our website, because we air it through our website um, at the time of the airing in Manhattan, so it's webcast at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, or Eastern Daylight Time, as the season may be, and uh, in the upper right-hand corner where it says appropriately watch here and then click on that and then click again where it says watch live and voila you are on a better world tv and we love when you tune in and you can write to us on facebook and say hello and comment on what you're watching and all of that so this week we had deborah coons garcia the former wife of the grateful dead's Jerry Garcia, she was my guest, and I interviewed her uh, in her living room at the very top of a mountain in Mill Valley in Marin County, beautiful California. She's such a lovely woman who's made some fantastic films, and the one I was interviewing her on was the latest, which was called Symphony of the Soil, Symphony of the Soil, which talks about how to restore our soil to the healthy properties it deserves to have and always has had and what we have done to it, which is part and parcel of the conversation we're having right now about our pollution of our environment. And pollution of our environment means pollution of our own bodies since one is truly the extension of the other. And when we pollute our environment, we are by definition polluted and contaminated. And right now we know that mother's milk has, you know, more than 50 to 90 pollutants, chemicals that go through the umbilical cord right into the fetus. I mean, is that not tragic? It's tragic. And then when the mother gives suck to the infant, again, in the mother's milk, as I just said, but I also meant through the umbilicus and the umbilical cord, uh, is the same kind of contaminated flow. I mean, how sick and how greedy and how foolish must man be that he would allow for this level of contamination that even his own wife's mother's milk going into his and her own infant is polluted and it's polluted for one reason and one reason alone greed we know the answers we know the solutions we know that we do not need insecticides 
pesticides and herbicides. We do not need them, and we never, ever did need them. Are pests uh, pestilence sometimes in some circumstances? Yes, it's true. Are there natural ways using marigold and other other plants to fend them off? Yes. Is there the possible use of something called radionics, which has been used for a hundred years or more? Another all healthy, safe, uncontaminating alternative? Yes. Are there other interesting, uh, creative ways to deal with insects uh, for uh, protecting um, crops? Again, the answer is yes. So don't tell me, Mr. Monsanto and Mr. Syngenta and the rest of you, that we need your products, because we do not. In fact, the world would be way better off, the planet and all of us, human health, human biology, and all sentient life would be way better off if these chemicals never existed. Strong statement. Yeah. True. Yeah. Well, I'd like to hear someone counter it. That's all. Please counter. Please come up with a real reason why these things are necessary to human life or to our agricultural life. They are not. And they have done a whole lot more harm than anything you could dare say in the column of good. So, that's my point. So let's look at the larger picture of our external environment, so to speak. That's to say that what we have done for so long in polluting our environment with our transportation choices, our choice to use fossil fuel instead of electric cars. Back then, Ford had an electric car. Tesla was on his way to creating a totally non-polluting transportation system. Um, all sorts of things have been invented, and certainly since, where we do not need these things. And if you say that it's really animal husbandry and commercialized cattle farms and hog farms and the like are responsible for the vast, output of methane into our environment because the, the, the feces can't possibly be metabolized by the earth in the volume in which they are created. That's true. We cannot metabolize that volume in one place. Spread out might be across the prairies, might be a different conversation. But as it is right now, these commercial hog farms and cattle farms are the main contributor, contributors to greenhouse gases. I'm sorry to say, but it's true. And it has to be rectified. So the answers to our woes of creating climate change by the increase of methane and carbon dioxide into our atmosphere is so severe, these fires are raging across the world. What more do we need? Tell me. The water we're drinking is so, so often polluted even with lead and mercury and arsenic and cadmium. Yeah, often it's in trace amounts, but it's still there. If it were in trace amounts, it actually may have the salubrious effect of improving our immune system by challenging it. So it's not that some pollutants, naturally occurring, by the way, aren't good in, say, our water supply. They actually do require our bodies standing up, if you will, 
our white blood cells, etc., our immune reaction to defending us from these naturally occurring uh, toxins. So that's a good thing. But what we're always dealing with is a matter of proportion. And can the body adapt? Can the body and mind adapt? Well, we actually show up on the landscape as pretty darn resilient. And it's impressive. I mean, really. If you do look at the fact, as what I was saying, about what's in the umbilical cord and the pollutants therein and mother's milk and then baby formula and everything else, baby Gerber's food, you know, when you just trace the food supply from birth, I mean, or from pre-birth, you know, and on, we are not getting much nutrition. I would dare say that most people on this planet are actually malnourished, whether they're in a first world nation or third. There's malnourishment everywhere, malnutrition. Yes, we may be eating a lot of food, but that doesn't mean we're getting nourished. These distinctions are so important. So what have we done to our planet? We have used her as a repository for our excesses. And this, from any point of view, is tragic. It's, can you imagine soiling your own home? Well, imagine soiling your own pants and walking around like that all day. Well, you know what? In some way, putrid as that sounds, and I'm sorry for the, for the imagery, that's what we have done to our planet. Because it's not literally in our pants, so to speak, and again, I apologize for the graphic content here, it is in fact what we have done. And it may be that kind of coarse and gross imagery that will help to drive the point home. I can quote you all day long about the statistics of what we have done to our oceans, and what we've done to our soil, and what we've done to our land, and to all of our waterways. And you'll say, yeah, that doesn't sound very good. You know, 40% of this and 60% of that, and, you know, all that I was just saying. (laughs) But to think about (laughs) carrying your own load, I don't even want to say it, in your own pants, Day by day, that, my friends, will give a truly realistic picturing of what it is we have done to our dear, beautiful earth. And maybe that's the only way to really convey the story. What we have done is so God-awful. While I do not believe in punishment, I believe in rehabilitation If there were a punishing punitive God, one would understand why. Because it's like we have been gifted this magnificent planet and what did we do but trash it. And that is truly in fact what we have done as a collective. And while I truly hold in high esteem our original cultures, our indigenous cultures across the planet, They, too, were polluting in different ways at different times along the path. They, too, were burning and slashing parts of the Amazon and the Congolese rainforests. So no one is lily pure, and there is no problem in doing some burning and slashing, some hunting and gathering, and some, you know, cropping and harvesting. I mean, it's all part of it. It's all a matter of proportion has to do with intent, and it has to do with the methods. There are ways of mitigating and modifying and mollifying our actions as human beings so that they remain in accordance with the laws of nature, with the principles of nature. It can be done, it has been done, and it is incumbent, incumbent upon us to accord not to be contrary to, but to be aligned with. 
And I don't know what to say. We do have some technological solutions. I'm very glad to say that I feel that I have been very fortunate enough and blessed to be apprised of some of these. They need money. And they're not getting money from the sources that actually have the money. And this is tragic. And if there's any one of you out there that actually has the financial resources and wherewithal to want to make a difference. And by the way, there's profit in it. And there's nothing wrong with profit. There's a lot good with profit. It is a generator of activity. It is an incentive. So we are in favor of profit here at A Better World, we're in favor of what I refer to as moderate profit, or I could put it this way, homeostatic profit, you know. And that is a way to build a culture, to build a society that is green, that is sustainable, that is thrivable, and is doing as little harm as possible, if any, by the way, with as low, if not no, carbon footprint. So that's what we're looking at. This is the kind of world we really, really can have. We have solutions. What is the biggest obstacle? It's not the solutions. The biggest obstacle, in my view, is the lack of human integrity, which is a function of a lack of human Maturity, And that is because of a lack of proper human education. When I say education, I mean education. I mean holistic, systemic, large, mind-alive, heart-expanding, spirit-based education. That's what I mean. I mean the building of character. I mean the elongation of patience, of integrity, of acting honorably and respectfully to self and other, I and thou. And part of I and thou is Pachamama, is Earth herself. As a physical being, as an energetic being, as a spiritual being. Creation itself is actually what I'm really talking about. And Earth as part of that. And we, humans, our species, as part of that. Are you with me with this? You understand these relationships. This is somewhat circular. It's evolutionary. And when we really give ourselves the proper education, and I don't just mean book learning. Learning history is of utter importance. But learning how to be human is of the highest. And that requires the learning of how to be in in integrity, how to be honorable, how to be true to one's word, how to fulfill a promise, how to forgive, how to apologize. Yeah, these are the component parts of being human, of how to know humility, of how to know one's largesse as well, by the way, how to be empowered and to gain leverage over one's own mind and body through will. It can be done through spiritual fortitude. Oh, yes. So there's a tremendous amount of fun to be had in proper, full-hearted, big-minded education. Oh, yeah. But where is it? It's few and far between. It's there, let's say, in a Waldorf school, to some extent, to a good extent. It can be found in Montessori school. It can be found in some school systems, private and public, probably even some charter, in the United States and elsewhere. But to limit the definition of education to book learning or 
even computers. Oh, no. We need emotional literacy. We need kinesthetic literacy as well as intellectual. And these others we are missing. We're even missing intellectual literacy at this point, unfortunately. People don't know how to spell anymore. People don't know how to write anymore. People don't even know how to pronounce words anymore to the extent that is really required for having a healthy and evolving culture. I am appalled by what I see. Now, it's true. It is true. I am a wordsmith. I pay closer attention to language and its use than most people. I'm horrified by even people of my own age that misuse the language or don't take the time to learn how to pronounce things properly or learn the right usage of words or the meaning, the denotation or the connotation and the distinctions or the nuances. So I have my own private suffering (laughs) with this a lot, even among my colleagues even among some very smart ones, they still don't quite get the language thing, or they do in part, but not whole measure. Anyway, that's my, (laughs) those are my woes, but actually it's bigger. They say that one of the reasons that Rome collapsed is from the changing of syntax the changing of the use of language, and the inability to understand each other anymore. Communication broke down. Well, the waterways broke down too. They found lead in the pipes, and that had a deleterious effect, as you can imagine, on mentation. Yes, that's right, on thinking. And so with polluted thinking from polluted water, uh then you're going to get polluted language and the inability to communicate and miscommunication. And that, my friends, can be enough to knock a culture and a society down so that it has its own true collapse. And many say there's an entire movement going on today called the Collapse Movement. That's what it's called. The Collapse Movement. In fact, I've had, uh, uh, what's her name, Carol Baker, Dr. Carol Baker, on these airwaves a year or two ago, a friend of uh, my dear friend and colleague, Andrew Harvey. It was at his suggestion that I have her on to talk about what's life like in a post-collapse society and that people need to become mentally prepared and ready for this time because some say that the Society has already collapsed in many respects, and we're dealing with the uh, the fallout right now. And some of our ecosystem has also collapsed. The number of the species that have gone extinct because of man's actions are so extreme, so severe, that we have gone beyond tipping points, never to return. Now, I'm going to leave that one up for grabs. There can be, and I believe that there actually is science behind this, that say there's no going back. Well, there's no going back technically anyway. But are there restorative functions as part of nature and of our ecosystem? Yes, there are. Will we be experiencing the fallout from the damage we have done already over the last couple of hundred years at least? Uh, for the next several hundred years or a thousand, probably is that restorative, is that neutralizable to some extent. But that would require probably a full-out stop to the perpetuation of greenhouse gases today or yesterday. And that's not happening. And that's not going to happen. It's not going happen. So even though I may know some remedies, solutions to global warming that over the next 10 years would vastly, vastly change it around, 
and literally solve the issues. They can't be solved without a lifestyle change among us, uh, having to do, quite honestly, with the vast consumption of meat and pork and fish, by the way, yes, they are highly polluted, which means our bodies are polluted, our air gets polluted. We go back to the methane story. We go back to the fossil fuel story. And there are more stories from the way we interact with our elements and our environment. And we need totally a total overhaul in order to make this work. Is it going to happen? Uh, it's not looking good. But on another hand, there's a lot that's looking good. There are a lot of changes that are happening among lots of people. If you actually do the analysis, the statistics, um, in some important ways, things are getting better. <laughs> Funny as it may sound, because simultaneously, the fallout and the consequences of our actions for so many years, literally centuries, are befalling us in our lap based on ecosystem collapse and what's going on with the melting ice caps, what's going on with the fisheries, what's going on with the wildfires across the planet, which are precipitating other natural disasters that are begging for tsunamis, volcanic, volcanic activity, huge, unpredictable, extreme storms, hurricanes, and weather. This is what we're dealing with. These are all the consequences of our actions, for the most part. Is there a natural cycle, you ask? Oh, are you really asking? Of course there's a natural cycle of heating and cooling, and extremeness. This is Earth, man. <laughs> this is what goes on in life. As the Chinese told us, the only constant is change itself. Everything is mutable. Everything is changing all the time. But there is a level of temperature and humidity um, and current stability, current as in water current, stability that we have known and the argument could be made that we are heading towards hotter times naturally, but what we have done, human intercession, is so severe and so great an impact on the ecosystem that it has so exacerbated the natural cycle that, well, we are living in horrifying, terrifying shall I say, interesting times? More than interesting, my friends. More than interesting. Anyway, you get what I'm saying full out. You know, Rachel Carson, when did she write Silent Spring? That, pardon my forgetfulness about this, it was either in the 1930s or maybe as late as the uh, 40s. But we have had others. We have had naturalists going back easily to the 1900s and some even in the 1800s. We had Thoreau. We had people sounding the alarm during the Industrial Revolution who saw, who could portend and did what will happen if we continue on that trajectory. It's not new, my friends, at all. Even relative to the idea of global warming, going back to the 1950s and the United States government had already conducted research in the mid to late 1950s that have been, it has been suppressed and then, of course, we know Exxon uh, did a lot of their research back starting in the 1960s that they suppressed and propagandized and spent billions of dollars 
telling falsehoods to the public. And they should be prosecuted. And others have as well. They're probably the largest, as far as I know, uh, offender. But our own United States government has been suppressing their scientific data since the 1950s, as I am, as I understand. And, well, if we actually got a move on this back in the 1950s, or even in the early 60s, we would have a different world today. I swear we would have a different world. So, it's not new. But it's no less tragic. And it's really incumbent upon each of us to look into our own heart, into our own soul, into the way we live, and what we can do proactively to neutralize the consequences and neutralize and change our life patterns and life choices, lifestyles, so that we can be in harmony and in accordance with the great Tao, with great nature, instead of harming, helping, assisting, aligning. So that, my friends, would lead to a healthy microbiome for both our gut and the earth's gut. (laughs) Otherwise, it becomes gut-wrenching. That's it. Listen, I want to let you all know that we here at A Better World provide a series of services. As you know, uh, if you go to MitchellRabin.com, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B-I-N, my name, of course, .com, You can see the coaching and counseling and biofeedback and stress management services that I offer, creative consulting, whether that's uh, personally for couples, for families, or corporations, CEOs, others in management, executive level, C-suite, or others. I can be of service in helping you think through, create alignment among human and eco-values to bring your corporation, your business, large or small, into alignment as social entrepreneurs, making a difference and being part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And this can be done. And it actually ends up to be more profitable than doing business as usual in the unconscious typically greedy, thoughtless, mindless ways that go on today. And it's time for a change, my friends, immediately, if not yesterday. And I offer these services to help facilitate that on all of these levels. And we also have the Harmonic Energetic Balancing Program, the biofeedback that I do with people across the world uh, on Skype, and it does not require individual face-to-face. I do this remotely with extraordinary effect. Oftentimes, it's wonderful. And we have a series of products. We have incredibly healthy organic green products. We have products for your lawn that will help your lawn sequester carbon at six to eight times the rate it is doing now and consuming 75% less water. Wow. We have lots of things. We have waste-to-energy technologies for your city or for your large community, gated community or otherwise, your hospital. Wow. We have solar. We have wind. We have investments. We have things that contribute to creating a better world and that are very profitable or energy or time or money saving because that's the paradigm. It's all good. It's all good. Just contact me at mjr at abetterworld.net mjr at abetterworld.net or by phone at 212-420-0800-212. 420-0800. Also, please note, uh, we are looking for interns. There are stipends available and possibly jobs if you really prove out for administrative, 
for social media, for video editing, for camera. We have needs, and we would like to extend the opportunity to work here at A Better World in person in some cases and remotely by contacting us at those that number or that email address, mjr at abetterworld.net or 212-420-800. I want to thank you again for joining. And we are a 501c3 nonprofit, so your donations are so appreciated in helping us sustain and grow on the air. For those at this point, best to contact me directly at mjr at abetterworld.net so any money transfer can be done in the most elegant and cost-effective of ways. Thanks again for joining. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. 